welcome to Season 3, Episode 12 of Effect. I am become death. You're Matthew. And My I, name's Matthew. And I'm Dave. And you're Dave. <laughs> and that was nearly the most perfect professional start we've ever had to recording one of these. We got the pauses right at the start. We did our our pre-production clapping right. You even started that well until you forgot your name. <laughs> uh, yeah, there we go. We can't we can't spoil everything by being perfect. Remember, the what we're re- recording now is for our top level patrons, so they get to hear all the mistakes and screw ups. And if we don't make any mistakes and screw ups, what are they paying for? <laughs> That's true. That's true. And they do get value for money more often than not. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, they got the all the Pringles out of the last episode of the, <laughs> the actual play, right. which I'm sure they really cherished. Yeah, the, the sound of us eating. That's what people pay the, the patron money for. Um, <laughs> but oh, what... Talking of patrons, actually, we've got one new patron. Shall we say thank you to that patron? I haven't even said what we're going to talk about today yet. But okay, so you know, I'm just I'm just mixing it up. Let's say Go thank you to him, and then you can talk about what we're going to talk about. Go for it. Okay. So our new patron is um, gone. Anders Stathberg or Anders Stathberg. Yeah. If we try and pronounce yeah, it yeah. the way so, we've been told to. Um, so we've got a number of Swiss uh, Swiss listeners. <laughs> we probably have. Uh, but we've got a number of Swedish, Swedish. listeners. And, and Nicholas, uh, 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 who we thanked a couple of episodes ago, uh, gave us a bit of a lesson in pronouncing a G at the end of a word after an R. And I've got to say, we're really struggling to put our English mouths around it. So Anders, I'm sorry if we've mucked up your surname as well. But uh, but thank you very much for yes. supporting us uh, through the Patreon. And I, I'd just like to say that because Matthew always does this segment doesn't mean that I don't appreciate the patrons either. It's just a, it's just an administrative thing because Matt deals with all of the... The, the, the background and all With the all money the and all, all, the, all the paperwork. So he gets, obviously, all that information. But uh, just in case people thought, well, Dave never says thank you for these guys. <laughs> um, I'm sure in previous episodes you've been the one that has said the thank you. I'm, I'm sure I, you I, I still say thank you, but you always read the names out. So. Ah, right. Yeah, because I, I had the names in front of me. But yes. you just read that name out because I was looking for the name. I did because you So were... you cared enough to write <laughs> it down when we were discussing it before the programme. I did. I did. See, that's even, uh, even but more. Meanwhile, I'd flicked onto care. another page and entirely forgotten about him. <laughs> so, Dave, you care more than I do about our patrons. I do, yes. So, welcome, Anders. Great to have you aboard. And thank you for the support. Right, well, what we're going to talk about What today, else are we talking about? Well, if you shut up and let me tell people, then, um, then we'll find out. So, we've got World of Gaming, a few things to talk about in there this week. We are going to say a little bit about conventions after that. But then we move on to the meat of our uh, episode today, which is the interview that we had with the setting and adventure writer for Alien, Drew Gasker. Uh, we interviewed him last weekend, and we have got ooh, about an hour's worth of interview there to go through. I do have to throw up a little caveat. Unfortunately, the quality of some of it suffers um, a bit for uh, microphone issues. But Matthew, with his magical technical skill, will will make it as good as possible. But there's some brilliant stuff in there. Listenable, if not really good to listen to. Yeah. 
Um, and that's pretty much all we'll have time for today, because that's that interview was uh, it's going to take up okay, the meat of the episode. Yes, it was a pretty chunky interview with a few scoops, I think. Yes, absolutely. So, World of Gaming, let's start with that. Uh, I've got a couple of bits of news about World of Gaming. The first one being really a shout out to some fellow podcasters, the guys that got me into role-playing game podcasts when, uh, when Dave, you and I weren't playing all that much and I was feeling a bit of a dearth of uh, role-playing love and I sought out somebody to be friends with <laughs> to talk about the stuff I listened to and that was the Happy Jacks uh, crew uh, and there it was like, sitting around the pub table like we used to do after a game, talking about games. And I really love that podcast. Mm. And it included uh, guys like Stu and Kimmy. And Kimmy has recently set up her own games company and is currently kickstarting a game called Dekuma, mm. which is a tarot-based game that she describes as research and development, R&D, for whatever campaign you're running. So... It's a card game you play before you set up a campaign and it sort of helps you through a session zero, creating character relationships, the world you're in and stuff like that as well. For whatever genre, whatever system you're using, it doesn't really matter. You just play Dekuma beforehand and it's kickstarting now. So check it out. Okay, so that sounds interesting. So how does that work then? You say this is helping you out with session zero. I mean, one, how long does it take to play through? And two, what does it give you? What, does it just like give you pointers for your sort of Yeah, I think in background? a way, uh, like, uh, like if have you ever had a tarot reading, Dave? I I used to um uh, I used to do tarot readings actually when I was a lot younger. Um, did you did you used to get paid for doing tarot readings? No, today? I didn't get paid for it. No, because I was a professional tarot reader on a premium rate phone line when I was <laughs> uh, a young man at university. <laughs> so. So yeah, so you know how, but you know how a reading works. You know, you you lay the cards out, and effectively the cards asks questions of the uh, person you're doing the reading for. So you often do a lot of questioning, and not really fortune telling, which is the trick, guys. That's the trick. <laughs> they tell their own fortunes it's because because there is a because there is a trick. It's not real. It doesn't work. It's, it's the not cards magic. do not mysteriously put themselves <laughs> no. in an order, ready for you to. Uh, so no. yeah, it's it, it's a way of questioning, um, I guess, the world. So as you as you play with the cards, and I have to say, I haven't done this, so I don't know exactly how you play the actual game of cards. But the cards will then prompt questions that you will all answer either individually or around the table, and that will come up with the effectively your session zero. Mm. Okay, interesting. Do you realise that we've both just sort of outed ourselves as charlatans and hucksters? <laughs> yes. No, we haven't. <laughs> I always used to make that really clear on the premium rate number that that's what I was doing. I said, I'm, I'm doing a Jungian approach to tarot. Yeah? That you're, that I'm you're... not going to be telling your fortune. So, so Together we're going to be uncovering something around the issue you're dealing with. So on, so on the phone you said, uh, I'd just like to let you know that I'm a charlatan and a huckster before we get on with this. Um, if no, 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 no. If you're okay with that, let's crack on. The guys <laughs> in the office above us, they had kind of a script that was all designed about um, just keeping you on the phone for some time. They didn't even necessarily, you know, shuffle the cards and hold the cards out. It was all scripted. We were genuine mystics. We were the live <laughs> mystic line. Um, and we... We each did our own thing. I had a woman across the desk for me, had a, a crystal ball. Uh, there was a guy behind me that did astrology readings. He used to unpack a luggable computer, not even a laptop, but one of those sort of 
luggable computers with all his astrology software on. We were mm. genuine article, not charlatans and tricksters at all. How dare you call me a charlatan? <laughs> well, I have, known, trickster. I have known you for 40 odd years. So, uh, um, so, yeah. so have you backed Dakuma then? Do you say? Uh, well, no. You know that I'm having a little bit of a holiday from Kickstarter for various reasons. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I just thought it looked interesting. It looks pretty. And one, I, I probably actually wouldn't. I, one of the issues I have with kickstarting American projects, and I'll make this really clear now, and I can imagine it's difficult for everyone else as well. Uh, I, I like backstarting. Backstarting, backing, <laughs> kick, kickbacking. Uh, you like kickbacks? Uh, is that what you're saying? I, I like kickbacks. So yeah, going, if you want me to back your project, give me a kickback. Going no, with um, a charlatan and a, and a huckster, you also like kickbacks. Excellent. Okay. But the beauty of uh, the stuff that we back from Free League is that it's distributed from this country. So not only are the delivery fees pretty low compared to stuff coming from the other world, but there are no import duties. Yeah. Currently. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen after the world of Brexit. <sighs> no, let's not get into that. But I, I have learned not to back games from America unless they are pure rule books, because, of course, rule books come with no VAT, no uh, import duty, ah. uh, and therefore they don't cost me any more than a delivery charge. Yeah. But a pack of cards is a game. <laughs> the game comes with VAT. The VAT then gets stacked up with the import duties and the costs in processing all of that, which can be often... Quite more than one multiple of the game itself yeah, so uh, yeah. so i probably wouldn't recommend it but there you know there are pdf versions of the rules yep. you can play with your own tarot cards if if that's what you want to do yeah so i mean just just looking at it now on kickstarter it does look uh, it does look pretty pretty nice and actually i'm half tempted uh to, to to kick in for it maybe just for the pdf but there's 25 days to go as of recording and we are recording on uh friday the 7th of february so if you're interested, get on to Kickstarter and have a look. Now, the other thing about Kickstarter, of course, is sometimes, and I don't think this is going to be the case with Takuma, but sometimes they take a little while to deliver, don't they, Dave? <laughs> well, sometimes there are some fairly you know, extenuating and tragic circumstances that cause that to happen. Um, so you're talking about um, Aquilaire and Talislanta. Aquilaire, yes. Um, so I, I got my copy of Talos Lanta that I backed some time ago. Um, obviously, it's a nocturnal game. Um, Stuart Wick very, very sadly died during the um, production of, of the Kickstarter. But I have my lovely book. Uh, it arrived about a month ago, a bit longer, six weeks ago. And it's a really nice, nicely done product. The game itself looks really cool. I mean, it's a D20 game, so I'm you know a bit less inclined to dive in. But I'm delighted I backed it. It's a lovely book. It's got a lot of really interesting stuff in it. And it's got a very nice memoriam to Stuart um, at the start. So it's obviously, yeah, it's quite poignant as well in in the fact that um, those around Stuart have taken, done, have done the right thing and they've honoured his memory by by finishing off the Kickstarter and producing a, a really good book. Yeah, and I, um, I uh, similarly backed a project from Nocturnal, which was Aquilaire. Now, I didn't back for a hard copy, actually, for that, but I got my PDF months ago. But just checking out Drive Through this week, I noticed that um, Aquilaire, and I'm guessing Talisanta, are also uh, live on Drive Through as PDFs. And, yeah. yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to all those people 
that took on Stuart Wick's work and finished these products and, and didn't just bash them out, but really gave them the current attention they needed because they, they are all lovely uh, products and they are now available to buy. Yeah, I think actually I'd just quite like to read out the the in memoriam from the knowledge of Sin Tullis Lanter. Um, just to say thanks to our friend and brother Stuart Wick, without whom this book and many, many other books and games would not exist. A great supporter of RPGs, a great guy to work with and a good friend. We miss you. So I just think it's a nice way to, to sign off that and, and say thank you to all those people who, who did pick up the banner um, when it needed picking up. Yeah. Yeah. Right, moving on. And of course, there's another reason to check out Drive Through RPG, <laughs> isn't there? There is. Free League Workshop is now up and running, and there is a bunch of content on there, which very sadly did, but now doesn't include the 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 the, the Coriolis supplement that we made. Yes. So your 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 supplement, Dave, Trade in the Third Horizon, appeared on Drive Through yesterday morning as the only Free League Workshop or community content uh, product in uh, on Free League's page. And I got very excited. We tweeted about it. We were First. People have we were first. Downloaded it. They didn't buy it because it's free. Um but uh, uh we were we were well chuffed to have it have it being the only product and we're looking forward to being joined by many others slight cock up at drive through i wonder whether i might have occasioned it because i <laughs> put a new file up there um in the morning uh so anyway so that was there a bit early before any other products were there then it all got shut down and then it got restarted and a number of products are on there but not our book which has been um, kind of uh, in in fixing the the early view. They've taken it offline at the moment, and we're waiting for them to do it. Yeah, to put the, it back on. There seems to be some technical thing that's. Uh, I, I think the combination of you put, putting it up and then putting it up again, and the site coming down and the site coming up again, it's got some kind of snafu with our uh, with the supplement. Hopefully, they'll fix that pretty soon because it was really nice to see it. There. I did see it there myself yesterday. I want people to go and get it, and it's free. We're not charging anything for it. We might charge for stuff in future, but first time out, I think. Um, yeah, you know, it's uh, there we, just for we, people in, to have a look at. In honor of our patrons, we said, in fact, yeah, uh, that we, we did think about charging for this one, but we uh, uh, thought, well, this is stuff that's been come out of the podcast itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's give it away for free. But there, there's other products on there, both free and paid for, or pay what you want. Uh, and I'm looking right now at a uh, friend of the show, Matt Kay's Third Horizon Phrasebook, which I think is a really lovely product. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, a bit of an attempt to create some, I guess you call it pigeon or um, creole, yeah. which players can use in conversation. And they're words, not just from Arabic, but from a whole bunch of kind of South Asian languages, but are also relatively easy to pronounce. So you're not going to stumble over mm-hmm. trying to... St- to add the words in uh, and he's got you know, what the word is what it describes a little bit of a pronunciation guide where it's needed um, it's lovely it's a lovely little thing and it's pay what you want on the uh, on the three league workshop so I would just I would just like to say hot off the press that the trade in the third horizon Coriolis supplement is on there right now I'm looking at it oh let me let hey. me refresh my page <laughs> It's there. Un- it's there under newest community created titles in this section, along with quite a lot of others. Um, so yeah, there's there's probably twenty odd titles there now, and 
we are there. So go in there, get it, enjoy it. Um, give us feedback. Let us, know, let us know what you think about it. But yeah. And there's stuff for all sorts of games and in all sorts of languages as well. Yeah. So um, there, there looks like, I mean, sadly, there isn't an English version of this. There's a Swedish Coriolis uh, scenario called Arcus Fang again. I'm ruining the pronunciation. Fong. It's got a lovely it's pronounced, That's pronounced cover. Fong or Fong, Fong, yeah, maybe. Uh, I, I'll take your word for, for it, Dave. Fong. It looks lovely. <laughs> it's all dark and mysterious on the cover, but I have no idea what the scenario is about. Lovely, lovely cover illustration, though. And so there's stuff there for Swedish listeners. Then there's also, of course... Um, templates that you can download in uh, InDesign or Word. So if you've got content that you want to share, there are templates to help you set it out nicely and with all the Free League um, workshop logos on yep. and stuff like that, uh, which are really easy to use. So you can download yeah. those and put stuff up. And we've got uh, we've got Adventures of Forbidden Lands in Swedish and in English. We've got... Um, We've got adventures and things for Simba Room, and that template, I have to say, in use is looking bloody gorgeous. Very nice, isn't it? Yeah, yep. very nice. There's some mutant year nice zero indeed. stuff in there as well. One of the one of the first things I downloaded, which I think will be very useful, is um, Raven's Reckoning by Peter Humberg, and what he has done is taken the basic. Um, calendar that had been mentioned in Forbidden Lands and actually created a kind of calendar out of it with uh, not just days but quarter days marked so you can tick off where you are in the adventure and I will be retroactively working out exactly when we started the adventure that you guys are running and we'll have a proper calendar to work to now. I like that idea. I like that idea very much indeed. I think that's a great and he's, idea. he's uh, he's given each of the days a name. Cool. Which I was, in my head, I was struggling to think, you know, what would the names be for the days in the Forbidden Lands? And uh, they're not quite the same names I, I would have given, but they've got names. So there's <laughs> something unique there, Forbidden Lands, cool. which uh, which I'm all for. So I'd like to just make a big shout out to Nils Carleon from Free League, who's been working on this. I know it's been a long journey. It was hoping to launch last year. It's uh, taken a lot of work, a lot of effort, but well done, Nils, for getting it up and running finally. I think it looks great. There's obviously loads of interest out there. You know, it's only been up a day, not even a day, and you've got twenty more than 20 bits of community content on there. It's great. It's going to be brilliant. I'm going to put more stuff on it when I get the chance. Um, yeah, so come and have a look. And um, cool, let's just everyone put out their stuff for everyone to play with. I noticed that one of Matt Kay's products, the Animal Expansion, has got a five-star review already. <laughs> so, yeah, there's plenty to look at. Check out the Free League Workshop live, even as we speak, with top-quality content on. Anyway, we've gone on about that yes. long enough. Um, <laughs> so, the other thing, I think, well, it's not really so much World of Gaming, although it is slightly relevant, um, conventions. Um, mm. Obviously, there are a bunch of conventions coming up. UK Games Expo, uh, Gen Con are two that we're particularly interested in. Although I suspect, I hope that what we're about to talk about would be relevant to other conventions too. So you may have heard already that Free League have asked Matthew and I to produce convention scenarios for this year. Um, these are certainly going to be used at Gen Con and at UK Games Expo. I am running a alien 
scenario, which is going to be a little bit different. I'll talk a bit about that in a moment. Matthew, you've taken the the challenge of producing a Verson scenario for the conventions. Um, I don't know if there's much... And that is a challenge, I've got to say, huh? actually. It's it's interesting because, um, you know, I've not played Verson yet. And really, before, before I finish writing this scenario, I want to play the one that... Um, uh, that Kickstarter backers got in their in their alpha version. Yeah, but it is it's a bit like Tales from the Loop in that there's a kind of structure to the adventure. And as with last year, where they wanted to do a kind of stripped down alien adventure that fits within a uh, well, this year they've said a couple of hours, so it's not quite the four hour adventure we're looking at. But it looks to me that there's about eight hours of play in a full. Vase and adventure, yeah, and and so getting all the well, I think there's some of the elements of the structure we're going to have to skim over in in this adventure and get to the sort of the nub of it, the climactic bit, and so working out how to do that is is well, it's been an interesting creative response or a creative challenge, I mm. should say, and hopefully I'm responding to it in the right way. Yeah, well, I'm sure you you'll do a good scenario, Matt. When you um, you know, occasionally you get a really good scenario idea, and it comes out really well. Yeah, thank you very much for that backhanded <laughs> compliment. Um, but I was just thinking, sort of, Song of the Siren, which you're writing up to go on the um, Free League work- workshop. That that was a brilliant scenario. Um, I have to compliment you on that. And those <laughs> listeners, if you want a, a really really good scenario uh, with some great moments and some great it, it evokes some really good emotions and feelings then when it comes up on free league workshop get it play it you won't regret it but now i'm sure you're going to do a great job with verse and i was i was quite pleased that when we talked about it you wanted to do the verse and rather than alien one because i was really keen to do another alien scenario but two because i was a little bit daunted by trying to do a verse and one not knowing the game at all, not having played it. But we did that with Alien last year, didn't we? We put our hands up for that. We did. As soon as we it did. came out without knowing the game. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. But yeah, yeah. So anyway, I'm, I'm I was really really pleased to to be able to do the Alien one. Now I, I I put out a little conversation on Facebook a few weeks ago and was talking about the scenario I was thinking of writing for this. The, that was going to be a spin-off from the Cold Forge book. Now, in 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 conversation with with Thomas, I had another idea, which is a colony based idea, which would show off perhaps a bit more of the range of the game. Um, and so, having discussed it with Thomas, I'm now going to do that game instead. So it's going to be a colony based scenario, which will, um, I guess, throw the dangers of living on a on a new planet at at the players. I'm disappointed. Wrong word, but I'm I'm slightly disappointed that I'm not now going to be cracking on immediately with writing the Cold Forge-related scenario, which was going to be called Last of the Athenians. But what I'm thinking I might do anyway is, once I've got this other work out of the way, I'll write that up, and um, I know there are people on Facebook who are really keen and love the idea, who loved Cold Forge, and who are really interested in, in, in getting hold of that. So if that interest is still out there, I might just write it up and then pass it over to players if they want to then just run it um yeah as one fan writing a scenario f- for another fan um rather than anything official but um i'm really excited about the the, the, the colony scenario 
Um, it's got some really nice elements in it, I think. Uh, I've tested the idea with a few people and, and they all seem very keen. So um, the other thing that we do need to bear in mind is we need GMs for UK Game Expo and for Gen Con. Um, the Free League are going to put out a call on Facebook pretty soon, I think, to, to call for, for GMs for both. But just to flag up, if you're interested in potentially running either a Verson game or a Alien game for Free League at UK Games Expo or Gen Con or, frankly, any other convention that you're planning to go to, look out on Facebook and the other feeds for um, for the calling notice from uh, from Free League and get your name forward. And um, that'll, be, that'll be really good. We are uh, dependent upon great GMs who come to conventions to run these things. So we need your help, guys. Yeah, so what I'm not clear on at the moment is how we're going to collect those, and it'll probably be different. I think Free League will be doing it for um, for Gen Con, yeah. but they might be expecting us to do it for... Uh, the Expo. UK Games Expo, yeah. and yeah. And so we'll, we'll be clearer with those instructions uh, when, when we know a bit more. Uh, from yeah. both Free League and from the various conventions. But uh, yeah, there will be an opportunity to play some games uh, that nobody's ever played before, yeah. which is great. Right. Well, this is we were going to be a little less loquacious uh, in advance of the interview with Anne, with Drew. But let's move on to the to the to the main part of the episode now and our conversation with Drew Gasker covering a load of stuff uh, about Alien and well, not just Alien, in fact. But um, shall we move straight on and listen to that? It's a it, it's a great delight to have you uh, on the on the podcast. Your life in gaming, how did that start? How did you get into role playing in the first place? And and what are your sort of favourite memories of, of over the years? So when I was a kid, everyone was playing Dungeons and Dragons. That was you know, those were the cool kids actually. Uh, and so I wanted to get into it, and my mom bought me the red. Uh, box basic set. Um, yeah. I think I was in fourth grade, uh, and so I got all excited, made a character, and went over to these guys' house, and um, you know was all ready to play. And they're like, "We play Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. What is this?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, how how old is fourth grade? How old is that? Good question. Uh, what is it like? Ten. Ten. It's a bit like us. Sort of both started playing D anD D about ten years old. Both. Um, we're lucky enough to have my older brother to sort of teach us how to do it. But that's great. So did you get into AD&D then? Um, did you drop basic immediately? What happened was, the, the, this scenario is actually kind of funny. Um, so the, the, the DM side, and he made some marks on my sheet to sort of make it sort of advanced. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he had me come along with them. But, you know, I didn't know any of this worked. And this was a first level character, and they were going into the Temple of Elemental Evil. Okay. <laughs> uh, and they were all pretty much jerks. Um, so like, <laughs> they'd like fight over a bag of chips and then have their characters taken out on each other. So this whole, whole thing evolved into like, you know, them killing each other. And I just, I had found a, you know, a cloak of elven kind in there, and I just sort of put it on and melded with the shadows. And, <laughs> and then it went home. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> the DM played with me alone once to get me the hell out of the temple. <laughs> and after that, I decided I'm not playing this game again. I'm going to game master it. 
Ah, okay. For 22 years, I ran games. Right. So ex- exclusively then? You didn't play again for 20 odd years? Uh, I mean, I played I played Battletech and um, right. Star Trek um, from, from Phaser or Phaser. Uh, um, I was I was looking at um your blog the other day and I yeah you got a very long blog about Star Trek Klingons and it yeah. went down the list and you had the picture from the FASA book of I the like imperial and human and Romulan version of Klingons and I've got all those books and we played that back in the day it was such a nice nostalgia trip anyway sorry you were telling us about um playing Star Trek and stuff yeah no um I I actually I don't think I yeah, I've never actually played Star Wars. I've just run it. Uh, right. Ten games, but it's my favorite game. Uh, I love those worlds. Yeah, so I, I I I probably played, you know, less than a dozen times in my life, but mm. I, I mastered countless games. So. Yeah. So I'm hearing Andrew that you've you've run and played quite a lot of science fiction games. Did you do much in the world of fantasy, or are you a uh, an absolute sci-fi nerd like like Dave and I. I'm a huge sci-fi nerd, but I, I mean, I always play Dungeons and Dragons, but um, what Dungeons and Dragons wound up becoming in high school was um, we pretty much modeled it off after a record of the Lotus War, that anime. Ah, uh, yeah. Yep. So, um, you know, so it was like love of sci-fi, love of anime, and that bled into the Dungeons and Dragons, but everything else was um, like Robotech, Battletech, Star Trek, Star Wars, um, yeah. So a lot of a lot of sci-fi. So what do you what do you GM nowadays? What's your current? Do you have a current campaign that you're you're running? See, the thing is, is that like I have not had time, yeah, to do anything in gaming in years. And at this point, everyone's like, "You need to run some alien campaigns." I'm like, <laughs> the last thing I want to do is run this. If someone wants me to play it, I will gladly play it. Because I don't want to have to control it, you know. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm controlling it enough as it is. So, <laughs> well, that kind of like n- nicely brings us on to our sort of next question, which is, you know, tell us a little bit about sort of, um, uh, you know, loosely termed your sort of alien credentials. So, when, when did you first start working with the franchise, and um, you know, what have you had the opportunity to do as a result? Um, well, I mean, I start. I I wrote a Planet of the Apes novel uh, yep. back in 2011. Is out and the franchise director at Fox, then uh, Josh Izzo, he was um, he actually read the book, which is surprising. Whoa, <laughs> you know, because usually they have parents read this and say, Is this all right? All right, and they put a stamp on it, you know. But he actually read it. So when, when Fox was having trouble figuring out the Planet of the Apes timeline, he called me and he said, um, You clearly know the material better than our guys here do. Do you want to come in as a franchise? As a oh, franchise? nice. And I was like, uh, hell yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it's like, let me think about it. Uh, yeah. So, you know, so I worked on the Planet of the Apes stuff, and then eventually that led to uh, me writing the Predator Bible uh, <clears throat> box, and then that led to me working on Alien stuff, which led to the Alien role-playing game. Oh, wow. But I'm curious about how exactly you were approached to, to, uh, to work on that game and um, how it came about. Okay, trying to figure out how best to put this. Um, <laughs> Fox wanted me involved because I was franchise consultant for them. Yeah, um, and I had actually, um, 
I had actually let my friend uh, Joe Lafavi, who is responsible for hooking up freely with the thing, know that this was available. And so because of that, um, they brought me in and realized, hey, this guy should be writing the setting stuff. So I, originally I was just supposed to write the setting stuff um, and not write any adventures. And then I don't know what happened, but whoever was writing their adventure, to, uh, the Chariot of the Gods adventure dropped out. It wasn't even called that at the time. Hmm. And they asked me, they were happy so much with the setting stuff I had written that they wanted to know if I wanted to give it a shot. And I was like, well, I game mastered for 22 years. So yeah, hell, I'd love to write an adventure. <laughs> and uh, luckily, Chariot seems to be well-received. So I'm writing the additional adventure stuff. Excellent. How did you feel about that when, I mean, obviously, you know, you're not new to your work or your take on Space 1999, Planet of the Apes and all of that coming out and being published. But what did it make you feel actually seeing that adventure in print and particularly seeing the feedback from all the guys on the social media who've obviously enjoyed it? I mean, I, I, no, I, it made me really happy. It's, it's like with each of these things. So, all right, let me back. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> so I went to school for art. Uh, I graduated from the School of Visual Arts with a degree in fine art, uh, and it was a concentration in cartooning. So I originally went to school thinking I was going to be drawing comics. Um, yep. When I was in high school, <clears throat> I was one of the best in the school. Um, so I was like, you know, I go, I go to art school. And the problem is when you go to art college, everyone there was the best in their high school. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know that feeling. <laughs> so now who's really the best here, you know? <laughs> and I, I realized I was not getting what I wanted for my art. And um, I was lucky enough to, my, my writing teacher was Denny O'Neill. Uh, he was in charge of Batman for 15 years over at DC. Yep. Yeah. Um, and he recognized that I was really good at writing comic scripts, and he kept pushing me to go into writing instead. He became my mentor, helped me a lot with the stuff, and um, I just realized that I needed to go into writing. But the plan was to go into just writing comics. Um, and so I did some independent stuff. And that was where my concentration was. But I'd never, I'd never done a prose novel. Um, I'd never written prose except for short stories in like a creative writing class. Yeah. And I got the rights to do, well, I was approached, I approached Fox about doing a Planet of the Apes graphic novel. And they, they, um, they first were all about it. And then something had happened internally and they're like, oh no, we don't want to do comics. And so the whole thing that I had set up with my lawyer and everything, with my entertainment lawyer and everything was falling apart. Back then I was making money working for uh, uh, Rockstar Games on Grand Theft Auto and stuff like that. Um, and I said, well, what I mean, because I said graphic novel, I kind of mean like Aliens Tribes. Uh, so paintings and text. I was like trying anything to save the situation. <laughs> yeah. And the person at Fox there was like, Aliens Tribes was a favorite pro my favorite project I've ever worked on. You've got your license. So, <laughs> nice. so then suddenly I had to learn how to write prose. Um, and I didn't know if I could do it. So I, I you know, did everything I could to make it as good as I could. And it was well received. And I was, you know, I was probably the most shocked that it was well received. <laughs> I was like, I can do this. So then when we get to the, fast forward, we get to the alien adventure. and I'm like, okay, I've done this privately for a million times, a million times, but I've always, I've always written these adventures 
for me to read, not for someone else. To yeah. Read. So it's a very different thing because you know what your shorthand is and you're not trying to be clever and keep the reader entertained when you're entertaining yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was the same thing again. I was like, okay, I don't know if I can do this. I'm going to try my best to do this. And then it was well received. I was like, okay, I guess I can do this. You know, so it's, it's, I think there's a lot to be said for pushing your limits and not running into it blindly because, you know, I, 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 I did a lot of research on both of those things before I went to do it. Um, but um, I, short answer, I was very happy. (laughs) (laughs) But it's all about, I guess it's all about making your own luck, isn't it? You know, you, you get the opportunity or you put yourself in the position where you can, that opportunity, if it appears, you might be in the right place to take it. And then you work really hard to make sure it goes really well. Yeah. And that's how you accomplish anything in life. I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously you put a lot of effort into the core book. You've got this kind of encyclopedic knowledge about the, alien verse which is why fox employed you in the first place were there things that you wanted to include in the core book that didn't make the cut because uh uh you know when we 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 reading our little bit they uh they definitely made dave cut the words down uh, quite considerably so did you any any real gems that you feel didn't didn't get in there that you'd like to have seen in the core book? So the core book, I was hired to write 30,000 words, and I think I turned in 55,000 words, <laughs> um, which one of Pushing Chariot was originally supposed to be in the core book. It was yeah. supposed to yep. be um, the, you know, the adventure. And I kind of, that got pushed out because they didn't, like I would turn in too many, too many words and they'd be like, well, damn, this is good. We need this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, there is a few things that actually didn't make the cut, but nothing that got cut out that's not going to be in a future book instead. Expansion, yeah, yeah. Well, we were de- we were delighted that um, you know you wrote too much actually, Drew, because because uh, we because we'd written the um, the convention games for last year, and it was one of those that they then asked us to turn into Hope's Last Day, which obviously you got you worked on as well for the canon stuff, um, right. So if you if you hadn't if you hadn't written too much, we would never have had the chance to do that. So this is my opportunity to say thank you for being way too loquacious and writing far too much stuff, because it gave us the chance to uh, to like put, put our toe in the water as well. So that was brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I, I, Now for a writing credit. I don't think Thomas is thanking me. Thomas. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Thomas, you know, Thomas is only the game director. You know, don't matter. You know. You know. <laughs> So in terms of um, the stuff that's coming out in, in future, so we know we've got the Colonial Marine source book coming out. We know we've got Destroyer of Worlds. Um, if, if Chariots, uh, yeah, which is a great, a great scenario, I haven't actually played it yet, but I've, I've read it. Um, and actually, I'd like to say that when I was um, uh, on the hook to be putting Hope's Last Day in the right kind of format, I lent on Chariots a lot just to give me some tips about how to, to put things in the right way which was great. So again, thanks for that. So chariots being a, a more sort of you know, alien style haunted house, assuming the destroyer of worlds, which is a colonial Marine thing is going to have a much more aliens sort of Vietnam war, world war two kind of combat vibe to it. Yeah, I would, I would, um, I would describe it more as Iraq though. Right. Okay. Yep. Well, uh, a whole new wars happened since aliens came out. So yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, more like Iraq then. <laughs> um, I mean, I, like the I, the stuff I'm writing for the for the Colonial Marines book, I'm basing everything on Vietnam stuff. Um, just yep. because that's what Cameron did. Um, yes, 
I just thought the idea of a, a colony that is um, mostly abandoned, uh, is full of insurgency that wants to get the government out of there because they want to join another government, uh, and you've got to track down some kind of alien thing that's going on in that mess. It just seemed like it'd be a, a very interesting scenario we haven't seen before. So yeah. that, that's what Destroyer Worlds is. Destroyer Worlds is, you're not going to survive. Is that the tagline? Destroyer of Worlds, you're not going to survive. I mean, it might be now. <laughs> it should be. It should be. I mean, the, the tagline on the back of uh, Chariot of Gods is, uh, Chariot of the Gods is, oh, who am I kidding? You're all going to die. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, you've given us a couple of hints here. So we've got uh, an insurgency, which is a human insurgency. It's a you know, it's a colony rebelling from its masters. Yeah, cool. And <laughs> and who are the masters? Is that United Americas? Is it the Three World Empire? Is well, it the UPP? Well, you play Colonial Marines, so <laughs> um, yeah, I guess it's an it's an enemy of the Colonial Marines. Yeah, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I'm just hinting at this because, um, for reasons I can't quite explain, because I've got plenty of other stuff to think about. These last couple of days, I've been thinking a lot about the three world empire, and so I'm really curious. You know, it, it looks like you've created in that core book. I, I've been, I've gone around all the different wiki things, and it feels to me that the only stuff we know about the Free World Empire is what you have written and has been published in the core book. So I'm kind of curious to know whether uh, that's going to make an appearance in the Colonial Marines book, or is that going to be solely about the United America? There's, I mean, there's right now with the Free World Empire, there's only a little bit of stuff coming out. Um, it, it was that was established by the Prometheus. Um, uh, uh, what is it called? The viral campaign. Yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah. The Free World Empire um, is. What is pretty much uh, uh, it's Mars, Titan, right, and uh, Japan, India, and uh, the UK, or right, right, whatever state we're in by then. I <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they pretty much got because of Wayland. Um, yeah, and that led to Wayland Utani. So, I mean, there, it's, it's you could look at it as a kind of a puppet government for the corporation. You know, it's, okay. it's hard to. Um, Say with what has been in there already. I, I have plans to do something in a future book with them, mm. but uh, for right now, they're just sort of they're they're, they're not the main focus right now. Let's put it that way. That's okay. So that's a playground that I can just play in, and you're not going to come up with anything that contradicts me uh, uh, for a while. I mean, uh, at least in 2020, I'm not going to contradict you. <laughs> cool. Cool, I've got a yeah. Well, well, Drew, feel free to just like ring up and contradict Matthew anyway, because you know that, that's <laughs> that's that's just a positive thing to do uh, in general terms. I mean, that sounds that sounds really exciting. Are you? Uh, I remember seeing something recently online. Uh, you saying that you're lined up for another three or four books that um, uh, that are coming out for Alien RPG. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm finishing up the the, the third and fourth book right now, which is Destroyer and the Camp the Marine book. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, and Thomas and I have uh, talked about what the next uh, two books after that will be. But you're not going to give us any clues here, live as a scoop. <laughs> um, well, I, I, 
on. See, we're, we're good. We're good friends of Free League. We've been like working with them for years now, and they've given us loads of scoops. So I think you know, I think this is your chance to uh, you know give us a scoop as well. The only thing I can say is that we're going to be centering on um, uh, because this is the Marine book uh, and an adventure for the Marines, and then we're going to center on explorers, uh, and we're going to center on space. <laughs> all right, so the other two campaign frames, basically, you're going to have a hand in, in books all about them. Yeah, yep. And will there be, just as you've got Destroyer of Worlds sort of coming out alongside the Marine book, will there be an adventure for each of those two campaign frames as well? Well, I'm right now I'm booked for a third adventure because it's a trilogy. And ah, right, okay. That, that one is going to be the Explorer one. And um, it, I can give you the tentative title of it if you'd like. And oh yeah! Oh, go on, go on. That's the scoop we need. <laughs> if, yes. If Thomas tells you, if if Thomas says no, then this gets deleted. All right. Yeah, that's fair <laughs> okay. enough. Yeah. We'll jump on the line. <laughs> it, it's uh, Alien Heart of Darkness. Heart of Darkness. Everything goes full circle. Yep. Cool. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So, Chariot of the Gods, Destroyer of Worlds, Heart of Darkness. Cool. That sounds excellent. So, tell us about Heart of Darkness, then, Drew. <laughs> it was worth it was worth a try, wasn't it? Ah, <laughs> uh, there'll be aliens. How's that? <laughs> okay, fair enough. You know, we've touched a bit on you know where things have come from. You've mentioned the Third World Empire and the uh, sort of uh, uh, pre pre publicity for Promethea. There's a lot of debate we've noticed on social media about what is canon and what is not canon and obviously you know we've got a we know that um the guys at free league they don't have a license for aliens versus predator so as far as uh this version of aliens is concerned there are no predators they made that clear when we uh, when we first interviewed them on this but i just wanted to get your opinion of um how do you think canon works uh as the person who's been kind of in charge of canon for fox for the last few years i mean i'm not in charge Okay, everyone's saying that. Okay, like the franchise director is in charge. I'm a franchise director. All right. Um, uh, the the other the, uh, someone who's been a uh, franchise consultant on Alien for lo far longer than I was is um, than, excuse me that has been for far longer than I am is Scott Middlebrook. Um, yeah, yeah. He put, put together the first several drafts of the Alien Bible, and and he's not in charge either. You know, we we both would report to a franchise director. Yep. So, and, and, and that's another thing too. It's like, I try to explain this Planet of the Apes group. It's like, I don't decide what canon is. I suggest that this makes sense. And then Fox can say yay or nay. Um, in, <laughs> in most cases, they've been like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's not been a problem. But in regards to what is canon, there's something that's really important that people need to realize. And um, someone was... Someone was arguing with me on one of the uh, AVP groups the other day that I don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm just like, can you look at my profile? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want to be that arrogant prick who's like, I'm this guy. So I'm like, please look at yeah. profile so this conversation can end. Um, yeah. So there's three universes. There is Alien slash Prometheus. There is Predator. And there's AVP. And the three have nothing to do with each other. Okay. People, yep. people are yep. very upset about this, but it's, this is because of what Ridley and Shane wanted. Um, both of them thought, 
Well, well, I mean, Ridley was just rude about it. He's like, yeah, I don't want that shit in my alien universe. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> He's right. He's absolutely right. He's a god. <laughs> and Shane was like, Shane wanted Predator to stand on its own. I mean, I think there was, I think the Predator stumbled big time. But the idea that, that Predator should stand on his own is a good one, I think. Um, yeah. Whenever there's like, you know, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman and, and stuff like yeah. that, it's like, they're fun, but at the same time, they diminish at least one of them. Yeah. You know? mm. uh, one of the ones that pull in the strings together. And, and, and I think Alien was severely diminished by AVP. Um, they just mm. became a monster. Um, and I think Predator, a Predator was probably also elevated because they could fight the alien. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. I think there was definitely a thing when uh, in Predator 2 where at the end of that you see the alien skull in the ship and everyone goes, oh, wow, how cool is that? And then you get you get AVP where it's, you know, as a fan, it's great fun watching an alien and a predator have a big fight. But actually, that's all it is. You know, might as well go and watch a good boxing bout or, you know, right. some, uh, you know, some of the UFC stuff. See, and, and it's like by making it, AVP brought alien into a predator mindset because predator is about fighting alien is not yeah no yes absolutely yeah so i so basically this this came i found this out when they put me on the predator bible because i i was literally like okay well, how do i handle this anything that's avp related and that's when they had a talk with me about how they view it and um and this is just this is just what Fox, the way Fox sees it, and they said, think of it as um, you have the Michael Keaton Batman, and then you have the Christopher Nolan Batman. Um, they're both Batman, but they have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, uh, to me, the Predator has no business being in the Alien universe. There are some Easter egg stuff that I put in, <laughs> uh, but most of mostly I left out um, anything that was AVP related in. Uh, I'm sure you'll find one or two Easter eggs because I couldn't just I just couldn't resist. <laughs> well, as somebody who hates uh, AVP and therefore I know I will not find the Easter eggs. Could you point me to one? Uh-huh. Well, I know one that that got removed because <laughs> we, we tell us about that one. Yeah, people were concerned. Freely was concerned that we, that we were going to open up a can of an AVP can of worms. Um, but <laughs> basically. As far as I'm concerned, and I think this would work, this works for Alien or AVP, there's no reason why Charles Bishop Whalen couldn't have been Peter Whalen's father. Yeah. Mm. I, on, on the Whalen Yutani dollars, I had his picture on one of the big, bigger bills. Originally. Uh, okay. And, 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 but I wasn't explaining any of it. That was just it. And they're like, and, and the editor came back and was like, isn't he from AVP? Do we really want to do this? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm not going to. Cry if we take that out. <laughs> <It's one line. laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, actually, this has opened up a can of worms for me. Okay. Um, in the pilot of uh, Serenity, uh, the the pilot called Serenity of Firefly, Mal uses an anti aircraft gun created by Wayland Yutani. Uh, yeah. So, is that part of the universe? No. It is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, in Blade Runner, they've got some of the same uh, visual. Um, Visual interface stuff on on the the flying police car that they they have on the Stromo. So is that part of the universe? Okay, so here's here's a reality check for the world. Okay, this, this is a get back in your box, Matt. Point, isn't it? 
<laughs> I'm just doing a wind up here. But yeah, give us yeah. the reality check. Please do. Now, first of all, I have put a whole bunch of Blade Runner Easter eggs in that alien thing. Okay? Uh-huh, yeah. I've also put Outland Easter eggs. Yeah. Well, yeah. Outland is part of the alien verse, let's be frank. I mean, I know it's an entirely different company, entirely different license. It just, but it just fits. It fits it's so, so well. Alien. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, it is. I totally agree yeah. with you. However, if it's not by the same company, it'll never be the same franchise. <laughs> it doesn't matter if Disney Sky thinks they're the same franchise. Creative doesn't own either. <laughs> this is the reality of the world, and it's like fans don't seem to understand how this works. It, it, you know, it, I love these Easter eggs. I, I, I love to think of Blade Runner as being part of this. and and But it, it's It'll never officially be. Now, in your game, game, go for it. Put it in there. You know, I, I was saying this to someone else um, on, on one of the fan groups about um, how it, it just, it's not. It's Blade Runner is not part of Alien. It, it, you can make it fit. And in fact, I may have I may have fudged some of the history to make it fit in that book. Okay? Uh-huh. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't contradict anything, but I may have written certain things in a way that you could take it. <laughs> um, but, but, it never, it never will actually be. And then this person was getting upset with me, and he's telling me, he's telling me, I'm going to put whatever I want in my campaign because it's my campaign. You can't tell me what to do. And I'm like, I'm not telling you what to do. <laughs> exactly. Like, and he says, you know what? I'm yeah. going to put it on in my campaign. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. go catch yeah. them all. Go catch you them all. It's, it's like, you know, like, McFly, you know, McFly, <laughs> come on. Of course you can do what you like. Uh, we have a phrase here in England, which you might have in the States, which is um, fill your boots. And if you want to do something for your own campaign, then fill your boots. It doesn't make it canon, like you say. Hold on, Dave. Dave. What? Dave, are you saying Back to the Future is part of the alien universe? <laughs> if you want it to be in your campaign, <laughs> then fill your boots. Uh, okay. it, it's not in mine. Let's put it that way. But, yeah. You know, I, I, had a, I had a similar conversation with um, one of the people on my on my discord about it and had a very similar kind of conversation, but you know, it's like, well, Canon is movable feast. It's flexible. It's well, well, no, it's not really for you. It might be, but actually for the people who control the Canon, it's not. Yeah. And that's another thing. It's like, Canon is not flexible. Canon is not something that the creator designed, uh, decides. Canon is not something the fans decide. Canon is whatever who owns it decides. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it- okay, but there's a, there is an interesting thing there because you know uh, a lot of fans say, oh, I hate Prometheus." In my in my head canon, it's not canon at all. But Ridley Scott made Prometheus, didn't he? And so the job of a franchise director is actually quite complex because he has got to massage Ridley Scott's ego with what he wants to change about the canon when Ridley Scott's making a new film, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing because. No franchise director at Fox is going to tell Ridley Scott no. <laughs> no of course <laughs> not. No, <laughs> it, it's it's okay. What do we? How do we fix this? Is what we the, the, yeah. Fix, you know, how do we make this make sense? Um, and I, I, I gotta tell you, I love, I love how Alan Dean Foster is so rebellious. You, you know what he did in the novel or no? First Covenant. No, tell me. No, tell no, me. Prometheus. No, this is the gossip we really want. Okay. <laughs> So if you read the novelization of Covenant, which I recommend, um, yep. uh, David found a fossilized alien egg in one of the archives of the engineers on Planet Four, 
and yep. he set about recreating it. Not creating the uh, yeah. Start. And so, because because Alan Alan was like, yeah, I'm not doing this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm just gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna erase everything that's ever said they've been around a, for a while. So I'm just gonna sneak this in, and I don't know if they let them sneak it in or if they just didn't notice. Um, I, I will say I've snuck things in on my franchise, other my other franchise book to see if anyone would catch it. And <laughs> I'm so possible that he was just trying to see what he could get away with. Uh, I don't know if you know, but in Alien Three, he hated the fact that Newt was killed, and he tried he wrote a way for her to yeah. live novel, and yeah. they added him for that. They caught that. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I mean, in in writing terms, Alan Dean Foster must have the kind of uh, clout that um you know in directing terms the likes of Ridley Scott's got because he's been there and done it all hasn't he so if anyone can get away with it maybe he can right right although I guess <laughs> he's still a writer for hire isn't he when he when he does those books true right. but he's been he's been doing it for as long as I could remember and I remember as long as I've been watching stuff I remember um, reading I remember reading the original I think it was the original Alien as and certainly the original The Thing um adaptation was by him and this is going back to the 80s so he's been around forever you know, he's I done mean, a lot of stuff. He goes. Oh yeah. He goes through the Star Wars novel from George Lucas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that a splinter in the mind's that's eye. That's it. Splinter in the mind's eye. Yeah. That's the one he wrote, but he actually wrote the original novelization for George Lucas. Oh, as well. Oh, wow. Star Wars, the, even though it had George Lucas's name on it. Yeah. Mean. The special edition re-release of that novel has a foreword by George that admits this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but every edition since and every edition before does not. And he was writing the, um, the Star Trek logs, which were the, the novelization of the animated series. So he's been oh, around. Right. Since, you know, he's been doing this forever. Um, but yeah. Um, and even even the uh, Star Trek, the motion picture is based on his script for the pilot episode of Star Trek Phase 2. So, uh, right. yeah. uh, but still, if Ridley Scott caught that and was like, what the hell is this? They'd make Alan change it. You know? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, is there, is there a um? Do you actually do you get an opportunity to to contribute to um any of the creative thinking going into the next movie as a franchise consultant and part of the franchise team? Do you absolutely. get consult. Sorry, go on. No, no, they don't. No, no one cares about that. Um, yeah. it, it, whoever the big name is, that's going to be put on the movie. Is going to come up with what he wants with his people. And then um, we we clean up the mess. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, it's another misconception when I tell people what I do. You know, it's, mm. it's, we're 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 trying to keep things straight so that all the ancillary material makes sense. Yeah. Um, but so what you're saying is you're hammering a square peg into a round hole. Yeah, but I think I've done a pretty good job on my part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it. Absolutely. Do, do you get any kind of advance notice? Do you get advance? Sort of a view of scripts or the the movie itself in order to start planning the franchise considerations. It, it depends on what the project is. Like, yeah. So it clarifies that I'm freelance. That yeah. They don't have any full time franchise consultants. So we're we're freelance. We get we we get hired for whatever job is currently going on. Yeah. When I was hired for the Predator Bible, this was before the Predator came out, um, and I got to see early scripts of that. So, because I was putting together the Bible for that, um, I personally think that the earlier versions of the scripts were a ton, ton better. 
But if they did some test audience thing and the test audience didn't like the third act, so they uh, reshot the entire third act, and I wish they had. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's so here's the thing too. Fans love what they want, okay? Yeah. Whether it's canon or not. So while I'm not I you know, there's no way I was going to ignore Prometheus or anything like that. I was not gonna ignore Alien Three. No, um, I did put certain Easter eggs in there for people. Um, the anchor point station that I have in there is the second one to bear its name. It says that in in uh, twenty one seventy nine, which is right after Aliens, uh, the first anchor point station mysteriously blew up. Um, it's that's alluding to William Gibson's Alien Three script. Yes. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, the the origins of the alien I have. No one knows for sure where they came from, but theories range from a uh, biological weapon developed by the company to uh, some 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 creature created by an alien race long ago to uh, the the creation of a mad android. You know, so I <laughs> we're covered. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're for it, go for it. Um, so you know, I, I've tried to try to do things like that, and I think it's really worked out um, because. Fans are fans are reading between the lines the way they want to, and they're like, "This is my version," you know, yeah. and that's good. Um, with a game, you can do that. Yeah. No, I, 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 I rewatched Alien Three, not having watched it for a while, about a couple of months ago, and it was so much better than I kind of sort of like offhand remembered it. And I also read the um, William Gibson script, and there were things about I loved about the Gibson script, like not killing off. Hicks and Newt straight away, um, but I thought otherwise. The the, the original Alien Three was actually pretty good uh, in 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 terms of how it how it played out and the, and the kind of uh, movie it gave you. Because uh, as much as I like the Gibson script, especially the audio dramatization of it, um, it feels it feels like just another just yeah. another movie. You know, Alien yeah. Three had more resonance resonance to it because uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. It felt like the closing of a chapter, you know. Um, yeah. And, and 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 I tell everybody all the time, it's like, I I like I love Nick's uh, Nick's Nixon hip hoot. <laughs> <laughs> Hickson Hickson Hudson and yeah, yep. I, I love Hicks and Newt, but yep. in order for Ripley to go the, through the journey she was going through, she, they had to die. Yeah. She she. she she would if if one of them was alive, she would have tried to stay alive at all costs. Yeah, uh, especially if it was new. But if there's nothing else to lose, she can make the final sacrifice. Yeah, and I thought that was one of the great things about the beginning of the original Alien Three. Uh, just the shock that you killed off Newt, because Newt was such a pivotal element of Ripley's motivation in the second film. Mm-hmm. Um, and immediately you just start it, and boom, she's dead. Okay, that's a jaw-dropping moment. That was really good. I thought that was, a, you know, very special. That's exactly why most people hate it. So. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Well, yeah. Most, people, most people who do hate it hate it for that reason. Um, and you've seen the assembly cut, I hope. No, no, I haven't. No. And I've only I saw it at the cinema when it came out, and I've not watched it since. Oh, what, I enjoyed it well enough. What's but... What's included in the assembly cut, Drew? I mean, it's like I think it's forty minutes longer, and. Right. It, it, it's uh, the the dog uh, the dog 
dog isn't in it. The alien comes out of a bull like it was originally supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the closest mm-hmm. we can get to what Fincher's vision was originally with what was filmed. Um, but Fincher did not. It's not a director's cut because Fincher doesn't want anything to ever do with Fox again. <laughs> Fair enough. So it, it's just it's based on all uh, what the, his original plan was, and it's based on all the footage that they had that they shot. They actually got the um, the actors back into uh, for ADRing with their, their voices and everything. It's it's so it's now originally when it was released, it was like here's the cleaned up footage, and now here's a crappy videotape scene from <laughs> from this. <laughs> And you could barely hear anyone, so we had to subtitle it. But, but they, it proved to be something people were interested in. So if you get it on the, if you get the newest Blu-ray, in fact, you might be able to even just get it streaming for all I know. Yeah. Uh, it, it, look for the assembly cut, and it's on there, and it it it, it makes that movie so much better. I think. Mm. I'll go and have a look for that. Um, is there? Is an interesting point there. So the 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 removal of the dog was there a. A particular reason for that or was it just not included in the original uh, plan for the movie because because matt and i have discussed in gaming terms um having pets or animals in a game um and how that plays out with the audience because yeah a pet can be a could be an, an x card moment very quickly for somebody in particular i think i think for the game having a pet involved is awesome uh yeah because then you're gonna, <laughs> you start to worry your dog your dog is infected a dog can save you in a weird situation so uh, i think i think pets are good cats are just i mean i, I love cats i'm a cat guy but yeah, cats, are just, cats are just gonna be dicks <laughs> of course i am well uh, jones was a dick i mean jones just scared the shit out of us and ripley for no reason <laughs> whilst being totally safe from the alien as well yes, like yes. i'm gonna hiss and i'm but i'm fine like fuck you i'm off <laughs> in the in the director's cut of alien though when the alien swats the case with the cat, and I was like, "Hey, <laughs> yeah." Uh, but yeah, that's why you know, in a regular movie, it leers at the case, and then when we come back, the case is knocked over. In the director's cut, it swats it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, um, the the reason that I, it was just originally supposed to come out of the cow. Yeah, uh, right. So the dog was added because the studio thought that it coming from a cow wasn't aggressive enough. Mm. So. And I understand that. I, I like the dog birth scene. It's the way it's intercut with um, with them being thrown in the furnace and everything. I thought, thought yeah. that was really, really poetic and nice. Um, but the rest of what's different is really so much better in the assembly cut. That's interesting. I'll have to dig it out. Um, just one thing about Alien 3, I, which I, I must admit I can't remember, but this ties in with my one true love and reason we started this podcast, which is uh, Coriolis. Um, now, Coriolis has got a deeply religious theme, and you know you've talked about religion in the core book. Are we going to see more religion in in the upcoming um, publications? You will see stuff with fanatics and cults. Yes, mm. good. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed the wooden planet that I put in there, the space station. Yeah, that was from the original uh, one of the original scripts for Alien. Not the Gibson one, but after that, um, that was supposed to be that. That eventually became the prison planet instead. Okay. Um, so you know, religion has been around. All it, it seems like most versions of Alien Three had religion involved. Um, I guess I've got two more questions. Actually, one is for you. 
how how has being involved with the alien RPG and being involved with Free League, you know, how how has that been, and how have you how have you found that as a, you know, as as a the kind of the next step in your alien franchise career, and your creative career? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I mean, I'm I'm going into a lot of gaming projects now. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. This um, and I got to tell you, Free League has been wonderful to work with. Because mm-hmm. you know they don't, I turn into many words, and either they 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 help me cut them down or they print them. <laughs> yeah. Thomas recognizes what I'm good at, and it's great to have a boss that does that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, a lot, a lot of times, a lot of times you aren't appreciated for really what you can do. Um, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm lucky that my, my full time job right now, which is working for Lionforge, I have the same situation. Yes. Where I'm, uh, very much appreciated for what I'm good at. Um, mm. The um, Free League is great. Uh, I will work on anything with them. And um, I'm very happy that I seem to have found a, a, a home in gaming. That's oh, like, great. Forever, for the longest time, it was one of my favorite pastimes. So. <laughs> now that's okay, cool. I, have to, I have to ask a supplementary question on that. Have you got any pet projects that you're pushing at them that say, look, we can make a game of this? Planet of the Apes, go on, Planet of the Apes game, or something uh-huh. like that. Anything like that that you're prepared to tell us about? I'm not at liberty to answer that question at this time. <laughs> <laughs> so the answer is yes, but you're not going to give us any details. Gonna... <laughs> Fair enough. I've already given you guys too much. So. <laughs> well, um, when when you are, you've got to promise to come back here and tell us, and we can be the first podcast to talk about it, to, to talk with you about it. Yeah, no problem. I'd love to be back. So are you... um? Uh, you're obviously going to be at Gen Con this coming year. Um, have you got plans to be anywhere else? Are you coming over to the UK for UK Games Expo or Germany for Essen at all? I would love to come to any convention in uh, the UK or Europe, but um, you gotta, someone's got to bring me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll, many- we'll mention it to Thomas when we talk to him next. See if he can uh, twist I don't his know, arm. I don't know if Thomas... I mean, Thomas is... is uh, we do. I'm doing a whole tour in the United States. Um, yeah. For that, so um, I'm like I'm 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 often guest of conventions. I've never been invited to be a guest of in a European convention. Oh, okay. So any European conventions listening who wants me as a guest? <laughs> cool. We will. We'll put this. Uh, put make sure all of our friends who are involved with UK conventions get to hear this. So don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> go where I'm. I don't know. I I I just don't know. Like. I don't know I, if if he wants to bring me over. That's great. I just don't know if it's uh, cost effective. If it makes no, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ob- it's obviously up to you and Thomas to to sort that out. We uh, but we we can we can suggest. Okay. Um. What 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 US um conventions are you getting to then other than Gen Con next this year, uh, Drew? Well, I'm going to be traveling with Bard's Tower. They're um. Ah. They're, are you aware of them or no? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. They they are um. Uh, a retailer who does, uh, I think they do up to 40 conventions a year. Mm. Uh, and they bring authors with them. So they'll have all the author's books there, and you get to meet the author, and he'll sign the book for you. Um, I'm, nice. I'm going to be doing several conventions with them. The first one is uh, Pensacon, which is in Pensacola, Florida. Yeah. Uh, that is in, I think it's February 28th. <laughs> so I'll be doing that. Um, I'm probably going to be doing. Uh, Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle with them. Um, nice. Probably 
MegaCon. You're going to be busy flying all over the country. Yeah, the we'll be doing Origins uh, with with Free League and cool. Gen Con, and I'm going to be doing San Diego Comic Con and Dragon Con for sure. So just a few shows. So have you got any weekends at home over the next six months or nine <laughs> months? Uh, <laughs> probably one every month. <laughs> really hoping to get nominated for something at Gen Con for this. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure it will. This is going to win all the awards this year. I'm sure it's going yeah. to get nominated at UK Games Expo, where uh, Forbidden Lands won last year, but all the buzz was about Aliens. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. and, you know, the, the, I haven't seen a single critical review of the game from any of the reviewers. I think there's possibly one that only gives it three stars on drive through but everybody is bowled over by it. I think every angle of it has just been so well done. You know, the, the, the all, you know, obviously all the stuff that you were doing, it, Drew, you know, all the setting stuff. I mean, the rules, that the, the Year Zero engine with the stress mechanic added to it is just proving to be so popular and everyone's loving it. Clearly, Hope's Last Day was a great core book scenario. I've got to say that, though. <laughs> I got a quote from that reviewer again that said, as core book scenarios go, it's the best <laughs> he's ever seen. <laughs> Yeah, well, just just be thankful that Chariot of the Gods wasn't the one that was in there because that would have been the best he's ever seen, and we would have been nowhere. So uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the only complaint I've seen at all um, is for Chariot. Um, it's, it's I've barely seen it at all, and usually it's by people who haven't played it yet. Okay, um, uh, the fact that um, the main nemesis is not the alien, the xenomorph, yeah. And I did that on purpose <clears throat> um, because I wanted to show that this universe is bigger than just the alien. Yeah. And also I felt like, hey, hey, punks, this is your first adventure. You're not ready for the alien. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that was really, I've seen the same comment, but I've also seen the opposite comment where people have said it was such a great surprise not to have the xenomorph in it and have the neomorph and the abomination. And uh, not only that, but it also meant that yeah, the, the Xenomorph rules were a bit later coming into it, and it left me the chance to write them, which is <laughs> even better. Um, so all of that was just just great. But I think you're absolutely right. The Alien RPG isn't just about Xenomorphs. I've tried to make this as rich a universe as, I mean, it already yeah. was, but I make it in the core book be as rich as it possibly could. So you can see there's a lot to do here than you can Oh, yeah. And I mean that's I mean that's one of the things that Free League has done brilliantly well in the past, and that you've done brilliantly well in this game, which is to give such a rich environment that almost we've said this about Coriolis before. Um, for some GMs, it might be a bit intimidating because there's so much to choose from. Other GMs, it's so brilliant because I can go anywhere. I can do what I like. There's such an open open opportunity here, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's brilliant. It works really well. I think. It doesn't intimidate many people. Um, no, no, I agree. Um, it, it just, I, the reaction has just been super positive, and I think the the my, the thing that I'm the happiest most about it is um, I don't know how many times I read in the Facebook fan groups that um, DMs are talking about how they read the description of the first reveal about how that blood bloodburster is born. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And how their players just sit there sick at the table. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I did my job. 
Yeah. I've, I've got to say, it was the first game I ran. Um, I ran a very cut-down version of it, so I totally butchered all your lovely work, Andrew. Right. But um, <laughs> uh, I I kept, actually, uh, just one um, Neomorph and that 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 great club burster there um, as, as kind of the two things. We only had three hours to play, so we weren't going to get far. And... Uh, uh, it it really worked on my players. <laughs> they, uh, you know, they were coming in. I'd, I'd said it's an alien game. It's you know, you're among the first people ever to play it because it hasn't been published yet. Uh, so they they kind of thought they knew what they were expecting. They 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 were great. They didn't meta play, but they were making jokes about oh this is going to happen. And then that happened, and it freaked them all out. <laughs> Which yeah. is the point, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's horror. It's it's I, yeah. I, I want this game to be back to its roots. And in fact, when I when I first came on board, I knew I wasn't writing the rules, and I don't I knew I had no business writing the rules anyway. But I I did gave them a list that was like I think these are the type of things you should have. You should have I didn't call it stress, but I just called it um, sanity and depression, the horror or something. Yeah, yeah, you know we definitely need to have something like that. And and I told them I was like, also I really don't want the aliens to be cannon fodder. I want yeah. if. The whole concept of this for me was in space, you're fucked. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The one thing I sort of did when I first started looking at this was I took myself back to the, what, 13-year-old kid that saw Alien when it first came out and the Kane chestburster scene and trying to remember how I felt then and translate that into a game for an adult now. You know, And like I said, the um, the bit with the eye flying out for the, for the, um, bam, you know, the, the, the bloodburster was just, I mean, I read that. When I was when I was reading through it, it was like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is right. Okay, this is Kane being killed again when I was thirteen. You know, this is great. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant stuff. Yeah, I, I, um, I, with Alien, I didn't get to um, see it in the theater. Uh, mm. I was when when it, when it let me see, seventy nine. I was. I think you're a bit younger than me. Yeah, I was seven years old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, but a, a year or two after that, it was on TV, um, and it was it was like they ran it late, um, and yeah. you know with screens and stuff like that. And my mom sent me to bed, and I got up to go to the bathroom and walked past the living room, and it's like I didn't see anything but the chestburster scene. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I was horrified. Um, so my mom read um, a lot of movie tie-in novels when she would ride the subway to work. Um, mm. So she had a bookshelf in her bedroom that had, you know, all these movie tie-in tie-ins, and there was The Shining and yep. Alien and Jaws and all these things there. So um, I would freak myself out as a kid by just grabbing a random book off the shelf, opening it to a random page, and reading whatever was there. And if it wasn't scary, I'd read the next page. Yeah, <laughs> it would freak me out. So you know, I, Foster's Alien book freaked me out big time like that as well. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it goes back. It, it all goes back to the childhood, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Yeah. Well, I remember I, I recorded um, the thing back in about when I was 13 or 14 years old because we had two video recorders. I could do that. And um, I came in one day and my dad was watching it and I was, what, 14. And he just went through the roof. He was like, what the hell are you watching? You can't watch this. This is you're 14 years old. Tape over <laughs> it immediately. Um, which I didn't do, uh, and it's one of my favourite movies 
uh, along with Alien and others uh, of all time. It's amazing. Apart from swearing in every episode, Dave mentions the thing. In every <laughs> it's if it's kind of a rule we have to we have to put up with. If I get the slightest chance, of course. I had a I had a, um, uh, Alien versus the Thing crossover that I was pitching briefly to Dark Horse for a while. Okay. Um, and how did that go? Uh, well, I mean, editorial changes happened. It never wound up bearing any fruit, but um, oh. the concept I had was, and and I think this was before Prometheus. Um, now I'm thinking about it. Um, but the aliens, the, the thing was spreading across the universe, and the the uh, space jockeys who became the engineers later, obviously, yeah, yep. um, they developed the alien to counter the thing because the thing reproduces <laughs> in your blood, but the aliens have acid for blood, which neutralizes the thing. Love. So yeah, want- I have heard something. I've yeah. seen something like that online. Yeah. Yeah. You've so all you need to do is about. probably yeah, that's true. So what you, what we now need is. Alien versus Predator versus The Thing as a tie-in. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. The Thing and Alien fit better together than Alien Predator fit. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, well, I'll, I'll be. I'd watch that anyway. <laughs> uh. Well, we've been an hour now. So, uh, Dave, if you've stopped thinking about The Thing, maybe we could say thank you to Andrew for making time out of his busy schedule to talk to us. Yeah, Drew, thank you very much indeed. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And um, I think maybe when um, when uh, the Colonial Marine Supplement and uh, Destroyer of Worlds gets closer to uh, publication, maybe we could get the chance to chat to you again and yeah, learn a bit more about those. That would be brilliant. I'd love to be on again. You guys are fun. If, uh, if anybody wants to connect with me, I'm in the uh, Alien Free League. Uh, what is that group called? The Freely Alien Role Playing Group. The the Alien Role Play. Yep, yep. So my yes. Uh, you you can find me on Facebook. My my personal page is Andrew E. Gaska. My author page is Andrew E. C. Gaska. Please give the author page a like, and then come find me on the regular page. And if you have any questions, I'm always open to answering. We will do. Brilliant. Thank you, Drew, so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And then, great. yes, thank you. And we can't wait for the Destroyer of Worlds. Can't wait to destroy some worlds. Well, it was, we got a scoop out of that one then, didn't we? We did. We did. So Heart of Darkness, the third scenario in the trilogy that will be Chariot of the Gods, Destroyer of Worlds, and then Heart of Darkness. Although I guess we do need to um, stress that Heart of Darkness is just a working title. It's not confirmed yet. Uh, you spoke to Thomas about it, didn't you, Matt? Um, yes, yes. And uh, so he said, yes, we can we can share that. We didn't need to cut it out of the interview. Mm-hmm. As long as we said, it's still a working title. What I love about it is uh, that, of course, there's all this Conrad stuff uh, mm-hmm. in in Alien. Yeah. Nostromo, the character names. Salako. Narcissus, the yeah. ship that she comes off. Salako. Uh, and, and so Heart of Darkness just really thumps home that Conrad thing. Because, of course, <laughs> it is that book. And I kind of hope it's a little bit of Heart of Darkness and also a bit of Apocalypse Now, um, which is, as everybody knows, based on Heart of Darkness. Mm. Well, Heart of Darkness, the the scenario, is going to be an explorer's scenario, uh, as explained. So you've you've had your truckers, which is chariots. You've had your colonial marines, which is destroyer of worlds. 
and then this one is going to be based around explorers. But quite how they're going to do that, I don't know. I mean, they call them explorers. Is that the same as colonists? Uh, so I think there's a so there's a there's a, that's a good point. So there's, there, so, there's yes. so there's a question there. Is there is there almost a fourth kind of campaign style, which is the the stuff that I've been um, working on in anticipation of. Uh, being able to, to to get that through free league, uh, we talked about it before. They, as I said, they've informally said they would like me to do it. We're obviously, waiting for it to be formalised, but I'm still doing it anyway because it's fun and I'm enjoying doing it. Um, and maybe, uh, maybe next week I can talk a little bit about some of that and um, some of the thinking that's gone behind it, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking for long enough and listening to Andrew for long enough that we should be wrapping up this program. You're yeah. quite right. So. So, yeah, so next episode then, not next week necessarily. I think next week we're going to see the last part of Song to the Siren. Mm-hmm. But yep. the next magazine episode, yeah, let's have a bit of a, an essay from you about uh, your colon, uh, colonial campaign. And you've, you're actually playing this, aren't you, in your home group? Uh, yeah, I've started doing that now. Um, it's good. I've learned stuff already, which is great because it's a playtest. Uh, I've amended the rules once as a result of the first playtest. It's going well. Uh, my concern is possibly, am I being a bit over-crunchy with some of it? Yeah. Knowing how much Free League loves simplicity, but it is... Well, in our discussions on Tales from the Old West, where, in a way, there's a lot of parallels between, I uh, imagine, a a colony off-world and our um, frontier townships that we're creating. And I'm always telling you that, oh, is this a bit too much crunchy, a bit too much dice rolling? So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if your alien thing suffers from the same thing. Yeah. Well, I think the, the the approach that I've taken in Alien is is very different, I think, to the emerging approach that I think we're likely to take for Tales of the Old West with uh, the, the, the town cool, building Cool, because we have two separate products no, here. In, in, absolutely. Famous games publishers. Completely. <laughs> Um, and I think the one for Tales of the Old West is likely to be significantly simpler. But I think that the... I mean, complexity is too strong a word because it's not really very complex. It's just trying to build in quite a lot of colour and mm. options. So we'll see how it goes. Um, okay. But yeah, I could talk a bit about so that next week. So if you're talking about Alien, uh, I should talk about... Coriolis. Coriolis. What have you got and, to talk about? Um, as you know, it's taking me... I, I had wanted to write up Song to the Siren for today, for the launch of the Free League Workshop. But, you know, writing is hard. Yeah. Um, it is time But I have got a bunch of stuff on some of the, um, on some of the characters, uh, some of the NPCs. So I might summarise that into a nice little essay for the next magazine episode cool that'll be good and i'd just like to say the the artwork that your your son tom has done for cordoba and for willa is excellent i mean they, there's real talent there they're really brilliant work yeah and he's cheap as well <laughs> and he's doing it for pocket money literally so, um, so, so can i commission him to do some stuff then uh well maybe yeah maybe yeah cool um, I shall... we'll, 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 we'll talk we'll talk offline about this <laughs> so uh, yeah so a couple of th- those two pieces I've got one or two more pieces for him to do nice um, two more characters that I wouldn't mind a portrait of 
cool. But, you know, this is one of the challenges, of course, actually, when you're doing this stuff for things like the Free League Workshop is illustration, as we know, is so much a really important part of uh, producing some of these fine role-playing games that we all enjoy. And it's really expensive. I mean, we've been blessed with John Salquist, friend of the show, doing a really lovely, lovely cover piece for Song to the Siren. Again, another knockdown price, almost pocket money. Yeah. Not quite as cheap as Tom. But, um, but yeah, illustration costs a lot. Yeah. And it's really nice to have a resource like Tom able to do it. <laughs> I guess, though, we should uh, wind up the show. Anything else you want to say, Dave? Only uh, goodbye. So it's goodbye from Dave. And it's goodbye from him. And may the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music, stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing. <laughs> <laughs>